welcome in to episode 45 of the Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, alongside... Jeff Cola. And thanks for joining us as we take our weekly trip through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Um, Jeff, good evening. Welcome to February. <laughs> Hard to believe it's February already. Uh, years flying by. I don't know. 2017 and 2018 have been the longest, fastest years of my life. <laughs> um, all right. So last week we talked about beer. We did, uh, we picked, uh, Jeff picked four beers. I don't know. I mean, they're not like your favorite beers. They're just four beers that you really like um, and tied them to shows that Panic played in or around those cities. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. That is fair. Um, and so this week it's my turn, um, and uh, I look forward to going down to that road, to going down that road. But um, first things first, Jeff, what, uh, what what's new for you this week that is that happened sometime more than ten years ago? <laughs> well, as we all know, I don't really reference new things, but um, I started watching Mad Men again from the start. And it has been, it's been very enjoyable. I think the big thing about it is it just reminded me of, um, one of the things about Mad Men is the music plays such an integral role in the, in, in the show. And so when the show starts, it's in 1960 and obviously then they, you know, the Kennedy Nixon um, election is a critical part of that first season. Um, but how different the music is in 1960 versus later. I mean, they're playing pop music, but it's much more standards. It's not rock and roll. Um, but the lyrics and stuff still carry the weight, but I don't think you pay much as much attention to it because it's not the Bob Dylan, Judy Collins, Beatles, um, even George Jones and some of the stuff that they play later on. Um, but the show is so good and the writing is so good and the dialogue is, 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 is tight and it you know reinforces. I mean, even from early on, you know, you realize that Pete Campbell is a total tool. Um, but I think the the thing that really stood out was um, in these first few episodes is when Kenny Cosgrove gets an article published, a short story published in the Atlantic. And in my world, how awesome that would be! And if somebody I knew that like got an article public or story public published in the Atlantic, it'd be like, man, that's fantastic! Let's go have a beer. Instead, he just gets crapped on by everybody. Um, some people don't read it; they read it and they say it seems good, but it's really not what I'm into. Whereas Pete Campbell gets jealous and tries to get his own short story published, and like basically pimps his wife out to go find to go get it published with her ex-boyfriend and gets it in boy's life instead of the Atlantic. Um, Paul Kinsey, like Paul Kinsey, like, you know, takes one of the issues and like tears it in Kenny's face. And when he's talking to the secretaries, it's like, it's this weird dynamic. And Kenny is a bit of a jerk in the first season. Cause he's kind of like everybody, but he becomes kind of a sympathetic figure later on. Cause he loses his eye when he goes hunting with those GM guys, when they're trying to get the, uh, the GM secret, secret vehicle um but yeah it just really struck me like i remember those episodes but I remember, it's like gosh, people are so terrible to each other um those guys those guys that group of guys really especially were just they were just the worst um, they were and it's like you wanted to i mean harry crane seemed so harmless early on and then harry crane becomes like a monster tool. monster <laughs> awful awful person and Pete was always terrible, and Kenny becomes a better person later. 
And of course, Kinsey gets fired and loses his mind and whatever. But it's just it it's it's just amazing how much that show progressed, you know, from 1960 and took course to when it closes and when they go into the 70s. And it's just a reminder of the 60s are not this monolithic thing, right? I mean, it's a very it's 1960 is much more akin to 1956 than it is to 1966. And things happen slowly. Yeah, exactly. And but it's just sort of this. It just is reminded. Yeah, I think it, not just the guys, but everybody. Just remember how terrible everybody was to each other. They just let's, were not nice people. Just let's just marinate on Pete Campbell though. I mean, because he really. <laughs> I mean, Vincent Cartizer's performance is just just amazing and the fact that like literally of that the whole series probably the two moments that stick out to me the most and i guess they're kind of they're, they're humor but him falling down <laughs> falling down the stairs when he was coming down to uh-huh. talk to to uh, don and then uh-huh. when um when he's in the elevator and bob walks in he's like how are you not great bob <laughs> Yeah, I I and I loved how they made Pete towards the end look like the stereotypical mid-level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he was a I guess he was a partner at that time, but, but he like wasn't they, he was barely, right? I mean, he was barely sort of a, a partner, but how partner. they like styled his hair and he had those sideburns, he just looked terrible. Like, yeah. He just looked like the guy who's hanging on to, mm-hmm. you know, his youth, but but he also was part of one of my favorite things in the whole entire series which is where they're sitting at the burger chef um he and peggy and don like shared after they did that whole pitch on family and sitting around Mm -hmm. and eating food together so um but yeah that show is just it's like tv just it's tv that sucks you in and you become a part of it and you get invested in the characters and like it's the high highs and the low lows but there was something inherently special about watching that show as it unfolded every week from episode to episode, not power watching it with Netflix or whatever, whatever platform, whichever platform you use, like that weight, that suspense between, you know, we all, my wife and I always joke about scenes from the next, how like scenes from the next were like as important as the actual show. Yeah, but they were almost humorous to the Mad Men. I mean, it was just like well, you Mad know. Men. It was just like let's be as abstract as possible <laughs> and screw with people. Right. But other but other shows were yeah. like scenes from the next were so important, right? You know. You know, we used to watch Friday Night Lights and watch yeah, or Lost Hill, but, or you know, Twenty Four yeah, like, or things like that. Yeah. And I, you didn't catch that I mentioned One Tree Hill, but that's a whole <laughs> other episode that we could do. So, anyways, uh, Mad Men, Harvey, what's your pick? Um, well, it's not as good as Mad Men. the The last thing I, that I want to, the last sort of anecdote on Mad Men that I want to share, we watched. I watched like maybe I don't know the second half of the series with some other guys at work. Like we, it was like our lunch activity for like, you know, for we'd, we'd watch it usually over two days every week when the new episode came out. And I think it was just the music at the beginning, you know, which is sort of this like haunting thing. And then the guy, you know, showing the animated guy jumping into nothingness. And uh, we always just called it happy times. And it was <laughs> like, you know, we'd sit down and watch eat lunch and just watch this sort of like depressing you know view into these guys <laughs> in the early 60s 
<laughs> I love that you call it happy times. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh, so, um, all right, yeah. So I've got a TV show. It's not as good as Mad Men, but um, it's on Netflix right now. It was. Um, uh, it's executive produced by David Fincher. It's called Mind Hunter, and um, I'm only about I don't know maybe four episodes in, so it may like fall apart and not finish well but so far i really enjoy it it's basically um it's set in 1977 i think it's a uh, it follows two fbi agents around and they're um they're sort of in the early days of uh criminal psychology and profiling and sort of dealing with uh, like serial killers before we really before I guess they really knew what serial killers were and um so it's cool it's well done um the visually it's really really well you know placed and there's good pacing and the performances are really good it stars Jonathan Groff who uh, I first became aware of as um because he was King George in the original Broadway uh perform uh cast of Hamilton <laughs> Um, and so this is a much different role. Speaking of, are you, do you, are you, do you know Hamilton? I know, I know what it is. You know I what it is. is. Have you ever yeah. actually listened to it? Uh, only in a coworker's car on the way to lunch one day. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that counts. Um, all right. We'll have to have another episode about that. But, um, anyway, uh, yeah. So that's what I've been on. It's definitely not Mad Men, but, uh, I've been, I've been enjoying it. And, um, yeah, uh, it's recommended, Mindhunter. I've heard really good things about it. It's been recommended to me by a handful of people. So, ah. All right. Well, um, anything else? No, let's get to the music in, okay. in, in your beers. In the Harvey. beers. Okay, so you talked last week about how um, a single-minded like an IPA is, that it's just not very complex because it doesn't I did, have I never said that. doesn't have all the malty backbone <laughs> and the complex sugar profiles of a brown ale or a porter. Right? That's what, I mean, that's what it basically boiled down to. I did, <clears throat> no, I mean, if I was going to say anything about IPAs and pale ales, it'd just be like, I want a beer that doesn't burn my taste buds off. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't. I said nothing of that stuff. <laughs> all right. Nothing of that So, um, all right, maybe you might be right. But last week you picked uh, darker beers. Brown ales. Sweeter, brown ales. sweeter, sweeter beers. Um, and so this week uh, I'm choosing all... Uh, IPAs, so um, that's that's what my thing is right now. And I do occasionally I'll go through some phases where I'm like, ah, I think I just need a break from the hops. But um, pretty much all it takes is like having a really good IPA, and I'm like, mm, this is all I want to <laughs> drink ever. Um, and so all of these tonight count as that. So um, do you know? Do you know the uh, the historical like? Um, the the story behind why it's a it's an India pale ale. I mean, I, I venture a guess doesn't have to do with uh, the how they had to. Is it is a, they had to get the beer to India 
and if by make increasing the amount of hops in it or something, it preserved it long enough to get there. Is that what happened? Yes. Yeah. So the, I think the idea was, and I'm sure that I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize if there's, you know. Just have Wikipedia open, Harvey. You can just read the Wikipedia. I'm doing all of this from the top of my head, Jeff. <laughs> I don't even have a computer in my house. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, no, but uh, I think basically uh, they would, yeah. So like they were, the, you know, the English colonies in india they were shipping they would ship beer on the you know boats to india and by the time it got there it had gone bad and or maybe like the rats got into it i don't know but you know there's something was it was not good about the the journey and so what they found was if they put lots of hops in it that it would that it would last until it got to india and um and i think in fact part of it was that once it got to india i think even they were supposed to like not drink it immediately they're supposed to leave it so that the hops because after a while the hops start to fall out of the beer um and so like if you take an ipa and sit it on the shelf for a year and a half it's going to taste like an amber kind of you know because all the sort of bitterness and hops will fall out um so i think that was the idea but what they you know the people wanting to drink beer didn't want to wait and so they would just start drinking it and they're like oh we kind of like this you know this bitter you know hoppy flavor and so when when the colonists went back to england to um drink beer because what else do you do um you they would go to the pub and they would ask for for a pale ale and the and the bartender would give them one and it would be you know a sweet pale ale like all the beers in England are. And, um, and the guy would be like, Oh no, 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 no. This isn't what, this isn't a pale. I want the pale ales I make in India. I want an, an Indian, an Indian pale ale. So, uh, that's, that's the, the source of the name nomenclature for what an IPA is. It's an India pale ale. So extra hops, extra bitterness. So I digress. Thanks for allowing me down that, down that rabbit hole. But, um, my first selection is going to be like your first selection from uh, 1993. So this is in uh, this is during the Horde tour of the summer of 1993. <coughs> um, they sort of start. I guess they start out in at Red Rocks, right? Maybe that's the start of the, the Horde tour, and then make their ways through Midwest, Southeast, up the East Coast, and then here they've finally gotten up to the uh, to the Northeast. Uh, and this show is in Stowe, Vermont. And I was a little, uh, I took the, uh, the idea of, um, geographical, uh, nearness a little more literal than you did. And so, um, the, the, the beers that I chose were from, you know, the actual locations, uh, either the city and, and in some cases, you know, within a few blocks of the brewery. So, um, my, my, my beer selection is from a place in Stowe, Vermont, called uh, The Alchemist, which is um, sort of famous for, and, and the beer that I choose is uh, is Hetty Topper. And uh, it is maybe the sort of original um, New England IPA, um, which is a style that I think has become more and more popular. Are you familiar with this, Jeff? No, I have not had a Hetty Topper. Do you know what an, a New England style IPA is? <clears throat> I don't know. Okay, so um, it's generally. I mean, there's a few different um, characteristics, but generally they're like uh, hazy in appearance. 
Um, they have uh, a lot of hop flavor, but maybe not as much bitterness. They're usually pretty clean on the finish. Um, so a lot of hop flavor up front, but not a lot of, you know, pretty not super bitter. Like a West Coast IPA, you know, has got a lot of that sort of lingering bitterness at the end. Um, so you get a little more like fruity flavors as opposed to like the pine coney resinous flavors that you might get from the West Coast. So um, these guys in Vermont sort of established that. And I've got a couple of their examples of it later in the show because it's probably my favorite style of beer right now. But um, they've got um, they've got lots of really great beers um, focal banger is another one that's really good. And, um, I would, I would recommend anything that they made, but the, the heady topper is the one that sort of put them on the map. So I figured that was, that was the best thing I could do as far as the selection goes. So, um, maybe, maybe we'll have to, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody in Memphis making a New England style IPA. Maybe you need to, to have a taste. I'll ask somebody. I'll ask okay. the guys at Memphis made what they're up to these days. Okay, it's pretty funny. There's a there's a brewery in Lexington called um, Ethereal. We, we you we went there the last time yeah. you were up here in Lexington. I have a shirt that says it. Oh, cool, it's, yeah. It's, it's hanging above me right now. I can see it. They're um, they're really making some great beers. I mean, they've they've gotten even better since since you're up here. But um, they they have great names and they have a they have a New England style IPA which they make every once in a while and it's called um, Fadtastic, <laughs> sort of playing into the fact that this is like the new fad and but you know they're gonna make a they're gonna do their their take on it. Um, so anyway, so that's the beer. Uh, the show is from July thirty first, nineteen ninety three. It's the latter part of that horde tour and. Um, this is a it's a one set show from the Stowe Performing Arts Center, and um, this is the last two songs. And the band is joined on stage for just the second time, uh, and the first time in a couple years by Mr. Warren Haynes.
Okay, widespread panic. July 31st, 1993, Stowe, Vermont. Uh, it was part of the Horde Festival that year. Um, Can't Get High and Chilly Water with Warren Haynes of up then, just the Allman Brothers Band. Of course, the government mule doesn't come into come into play until next year. Um, this date is significant um, in Allman Brothers Band history for a couple of reasons. Uh, the big one is Dickie Betts. This is the first show Dickie Betts was not a part of. Um, he played so they the were night part. Before. They were a part of the Horde tour. Yeah, they, they had just jumped the night on before. Mm-hmm. night before in Saratoga Springs. Um, Dickie to no, no surprise here, got drunk, um, got in a fight with his wife, also not a surprise, and uh, the cops were called and had to break it up, and Dickie, also not a surprise, got in a little scuffle with the cops and um, got arrested and got and basically got bailed out, said F it, and went back home to Florida, also not a surprise. Um, <laughs> and left the left the brothers without a viable option as a second guitar player mm. so who do they invite for the very first time drum roll please jimmy herring mm. uh, from aquarium rescue unit who of course is on the um horror tour on the horror, f- horror tour at that time so the first time jimmy sits in with the boys and and this colonel, is actually colonel a, bruce making all this happen colonel bruce yeah the exactly. zambi the, the zambi um but there's actually a bootleg CD that I have of this show, of the Allman Brothers set from that night, where Jimmy sits in, and Warren takes on a lot of... They, they do some Dickie songs, Warren sings them. Of course, Brother Greg is still, is, is, is still there doing his part. But what makes this even more significant is that Jimmy sits in on the 31st, and then the next night at Great Woods, outside of Boston one of the more infamous moments in Allman Brothers history takes place. And that's the night that Zach Wilde of then of Ozzy Osbourne's band um, sits in with the Allman Brothers. Hmm. And for those of you that look jam base did an article about this show, actually uh, um, October 20, back on October 27th, we, we can post the link this week. Um, but this is a show that Zach played the entire show. He was a huge Allman Brothers fan. Um, loved them. You know, but was a metal guitar player. You know, and is widely revered as one of the best metal players of all time, especially of the last you know thirty years or so. Um, but they couldn't get Jack Pearson up there. They couldn't get David Grissom up there, who does play with them, does sit in with them later on. Warren wanted Chuck Lavelle, um, but they didn't have two guitars, so they got Zach Wild. And there's such a aura about this show and like i'd heard so many terrible things about it but it's also it's like 326.97 for a panic right like the santa cruz show that it's oh that show's so terrible and then he listened to it's like there's some cool stuff happening here no i actually don't it doesn't bother me so much as a lot of people um it's just always interesting to hear a guy who doesn't fit in with the ethos of a band and he comes in and he does his own thing and like they got freaked out because he would take solos and he would swig you know Budweiser and spit beer on everybody like he would do an Ozzy span or whatever like, but it's just interesting it's different and like especially at that time when again I love Dickie Betts as a guitar player he is not a good human being um, but everything was very similar and everything was very this much the same you know Dickie was the guy that created the set list for the band. You know, he wanted to do the same set every night. 
the, even though everybody else in the band realized that like if you do a different set every night people will tour with us like we'll play bigger places like we'll be a bigger thing he didn't want to do that he didn't relent until 95 when they actually did end up creating like an a set list and a b set list um so every show in 93 pretty much looks the same but that then that was dickie's doing and again as much as i love dickie as a guitar player like it was the same show. Like I wasn't going to shows in 93, but I had the tapes and like, they all sound the same. So throw in Zach Wilde and it's something a little bit different mm. anyway, but it is sort of one of those, you know, bizarre moments in the history of the band. And it happened the night after this Stowe show. Love <laughs> war. Now to talk about your selection, Warren Haynes, anytime he sits in with panic, it's great. Especially the nineties stuff when like his, his job was to be the slide guitar player. Right. Um, when he was in the Almonds then, that was his gig. He was filling that slide guitar spot. So he took all Dwayne's parts in, in you know, in Dreams and Liz Reed and Whipping Post and all of that. And so his job was to do the slide stuff. So when he sat in with Panic, his job was the slide stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, the Chili's great. Obviously, we've talked about, you know, um, Mud Island 97, Montgomery 97, Pensacola 97, some of the stuff he sits in with, you know, with Panic. Um and then, of course, when Derek Truck sits in with them, like Derek's gig is to play the slide stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it fits in really great. And so, love this selection. Good job. Haven't had the beer, but I have heard the show. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever listened to this uh, to this set before. And uh, it was, you know, so like I said before, this was just the second time that Warren had um, had sat in with the band, and obviously that that would be you know a lot more after that, but. Um, the first time was uh, in 1991 in Telluride, Colorado, um, with uh, Little Women. So there's some Jerry Joseph that night, and Warren Haynes played. But um, the thing that I love about Warren is like I feel like he could get him. You could you get him up there with any band playing any song, especially at this point when, like you said, he's just the slide man, and he would just like just blow it up on any song yep. <laughs> it didn't matter right like you could tell i mean can't get high is not exactly like a jam vehicle or even like a traditional i mean it's a it's a you know it's a different kind of song and it's like it takes him about a minute or two and then it's just like all of a sudden he's just like throwing licks in there <laughs> it's like damn that's badass and um and then the chili water is really good too so um but i think that's probably well, i don't know if it's the only time he's played uh can't get high but um that was, I thought that was just sort of a unique uh, performance. No, Warren is Warren. I don't think he was that then, but he has become like the ubiquitous guest guy, um, where he is good enough in the style he plays and his knowledge of the music, where you can just throw him in sort of any situation and mm-hmm. you can figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Derek is that way too in a lot of ways. Um, it's, it's, it's a testament to how good they are. It's a testament to how they understand music and how they play it and their knowledge of it, but also just sort of like, I'm not a musician as we all know, but the, the slide slide is adding texture, you know, and it's adding depth to the, to, to the stuff that's it's already a different there. sound, right? It's yeah. a different sound. And it's like you, it's sort of like, that's why when we played that selection from ten six ninety four from Clemson, like that is a, that is like the, I think we've done, there's, there a jam, thing on jam bass that they used to call the art of the sit in. 
Mm. Right. By making that up, there used to be these art things about like the art of the sit-in. Like Warren is like the king of the sit-in because, especially when he's doing slide stuff, because again, he can come on, everybody freaks out because it's Warren. He does the texture part, and then like he can do the face melting solo, and then like the band comes back, and then it like it, it's over. Like it's just it's, it fits in so well. Like especially if you listen to how he, when he um, would sit in with the Black Crows too. Um, on uh, when they when Mule toured with them in '96, it's like the same thing. It's like you can bring Warren out, and you have like the three man guitar army with you know Mark Ford and Rich and Warren, and it's like it just fits in so well. So that's a testament again to how good he is, but also the the, um, the style that he plays too. It, it it fits in really well with what these bands are doing. All right, cool. So um, we're gonna move forward a couple years and uh, head down the East Coast a little bit and. Uh, we're going to Richmond, Virginia, and um, the brewery is called The Veil, um, V-E-I-L, and um, again, they're they're famous for their IPAs. They also do some dark beers, too, um, but it's one of those where they do a different, you know, they have, I don't even know how many different types, you know, they just rotate the different, um, it's not like they've got four or five beers that they do all the time, um, but the one that's sort of again the uh, the sort of um, marquee uh, is called Crucial Taunt, and uh, so that's the one I've tried that before. It is really good. I, w- I would I'm trying to make it to Richmond at some point just to to check out the tap room, um, but they also did a uh, collaboration um, with the brewery that's we're going to talk about later. Uh, in this episode that was fantastic. That was the first time I'd ever heard of them. Um, so I'll talk about that a little bit later, but this show is from Richmond, Virginia. It's, um, it's September 10th, 1995. And, um, it's another guest appearance. It's got a couple of interesting parts. Uh, the first is, uh, it opens up the first song you'll hear, which is, so this is a, um, it's a one set show. Uh, they're also appearing at this show was uh, Agents of Good Roots and Everything. Remember, we talked about everything earlier, early in our run. Um, no, no Jacko Pierce sighting. Don't you stay on the for the summer? But we do have some everything. So they, they do, in fact, have the hooch. Got the hooch. So, so I guess just one big festival set. And, uh, so this is, um, the end of the set and you get, uh, to start things off, it's a, uh, sort of a unique arrangement where it's, uh, just JB and Sonny playing a song. Then the band, the rest of the band joins them. And then, um, and then later, uh, they're joined by a guy named Gib Droll on guitar and uh, it was the first time he played with the band. He came he came back again in the summer of '97 uh, at two shows. Was it Charlotte and um, Raleigh? And Raleigh, right? And um, so um, we'll talk a little bit about him afterwards. But uh, this is uh, in honor of the Vale Brewing from Richmond, Virginia, uh, Browns Island Park, September tenth, nineteen ninety five. Uh, we'll kick it off with a JB and Sunny version of Traveling Light. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Widespread Panic, uh, September 10th, 1995, Browns Island Park in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Travel and Light, uh, just JB and Sunny on that one, and it's pretty great. Into a very slow port song, a nice jam in, into Me and the Devil Blues, into Lowrider with Gib Droll. And before the break, I live fact-checking fact everybody, Gib Droll did not sit in with Widespread Panic on 7-12-97 in Raleigh. He sat in with them on 7-13-97 in Hampton, uh, Virginia, and Strawberry Banks, which is a show that I think will probably come up at some point because it is fantastic. Um, and we had a little bit of a conversation earlier in the week about Gib Droll, and uh, I gotta say, Gib Droll probably underrated Panic Guest. This yeah. dude, this dude, kind of burns it down. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm a pretty big fan. I had like I don't know where I came across him, but I had like a Gib Droll band CD in college, and uh, like even before I had known that he had played with them, and um, so I I liked him. But yeah, and it's it's sort of like it's kind of a unique sound. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. just traditional. Um, you know, wailing on the guitar. I feel like he he's got his own little style, which I think fits pretty well with the band. Yeah, it it works really well here, and this show is great. Um, the night before is great too. Nine nine ninety five, first ever Ann Avis um, over in Norf- Norfolk at the Boathouse. But um, this show is good. That traveling light with JB and Sonny is fantastic. Um, just a random. Yeah, I mean, set. so random, but like so badass. It's like, why yeah, did you guys not great. do that more often? Just like. Just throw in a, you know, a just a two-man whatever, just to yeah. mix things up. I don't know. It was, I'm sure it was like technical difficulties or somebody had to, you know, had a had a bio break or something. But Because <laughs> um, they didn't have a drums then, so that was sort of like the, that was the break after Papa's Home. Um, um, I'm looking at our Google Doc that we share every week about what we're going to do, and your comment is for the lowrider is hauser just kills the last solo here mm. correct <laughs> factually um, correct factually correct um honestly it's it's kind of it's i would say it's totally out of the ordinary for him but he is just he is playing with some intensity mm. there i don't know if it was like damn give drills up here and i, I gotta up my game or what but he's playing fast yeah. like really really fast and it's good it, so it this is a great selection um i've had you know the, the again this show and this uh the night before i've had forever um in a couple different formats and have listened to it like crazy this is a great show yeah and and i feel like i say this all the time but i but i mean it and and that's you know that this is the start of that fall 95 tour and uh you know right after this you there's a they did that official release from from glenside pennsylvania which is really good and then we played some stuff from from salem virginia 916 yep. uh, the red mile was 917 and then the two nights at the varsity in baton rouge right after that 920 and 921 are fantastic um the uh, Oak Mountain in 923 and uh, the Knoxville show in 928. We're going to play something from, from Nashville right after and the Boone show 930. I mean, it's like, that was a great run in fall 95. Like they were really uh, starting to really fire on all cylinders. And we even get, haven't even gotten to like actually my favorite part of that tour, which is the, 
10, 7, Charleston show. Um, and then 10, 12, 13, 14, 15. Um, those Florida shows are just spot on. And the Texas stuff, the Texas run is good. Um, the Mississippi, I mean, again, I don't know. We could have gone forever. Like the whole tour is good. The whole tour is good. And that makes uh, sense. Cause I mean, like, this is like, you know, we're, you're, they're ramping up to, you know, sit and ski and then 96. It's like, this is, you know, this is primal panic, right? I mean, they're really starting yeah, to, to get things firing. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. I just, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then again, I had the fun fact for your Stowe pick, but the fun fact for your Richmond pick, the crucial taunt, um, that name comes, I assume comes from the, the, the band in Wayne's world. (laughs) (laughs) Tia Carrera's band is called crucial taunt with their excellent cover of ballroom blitz. Um, which is better than I think the original that they actually had the music video for where she wore the snake and Rob Lowe mm. was the director slash music impresario guy. But I haven't watched uh, Wayne's world in so long, but like just thinking back to it is like, what a like cultural landmark that movie was, you know what I mean? Like the, the crossover from the SNL skit and like you have Rob Lowe, you have the, um, the uh, the scene in the car with Bohemian Rhapsody and mm-hmm. Tia Carrere and um, Schwing and I mean Schwing, it's just like yeah. so much just great stuff and uh, uh, Sphincter says what right. um, but the like so that uh, Wayne Durrell really started to hit when I was in sixth grade and I remember that I had you were talking about water cooler talk. Like in sixth grade, <laughs> it's like the Monday milk, morning, milk box talk. Milk box talk was Saturday Night Live because uh, of Wayne's World. Like, right. and I, I mean, how culturally ubiquitous it was. I had friends that would do the morning announcements in like Wayne's World style in right. sixth grade. Like that's how it just was everywhere, and like it was so cool and it was funny, and like you know Saturday Night Live is a ski. Oh God, this is gonna be a whole other. I could go on a tangent on this, but like Saturday Night Live has a skewed recurring characters over the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Wayne's World 1, it's a good movie. I'm not yeah. going to lie. It's no. a very enjoyable movie. The soundtrack's awesome. It is. Uh, uh, yeah. So Tia Carrera. Crucial well done. taunt. Crucial taunt. So take us back, take us further on into fall tour 1995, Harvey. Yeah. So um, the we're going to, uh, to Nashville which is um, September 29th, so less than three weeks after the uh, the Richmond show. And um, the brewery is uh, Bearded Iris, and it is, you know, a mere handful of blocks from uh, Riverfront Park down there on the river in Nashville. And um, it is one of my favorite, uh, you know, up and coming breweries. And, uh, whenever I drive through Nashville, I make a point to stop there and, and buy whatever they've got in cans. And, um, the, uh, and again, it's just, they sort of just have a rotating list of, you know, I don't even know a dozen different, uh, and they really specialize in IPAs. They've got some other stuff, but mostly it's IPAs. And, um, they're sort of, again, their flagship. So the one that I'm going to choose tonight is, is home style, which is really just a great, uh, straightforward, um, uh, New England style IPA and uh, but everything I've ever had from them is fantastic. I was just there last weekend and um, uh, everything I tried was great. 
it just smells like a like a big hop when you walk in there. <laughs> and the funny thing was, like, I think the first time that I stopped stopped there, I guess I had maybe had Homestyle, and I was like, oh, man, this is really good. We should stop there the next time we're going through Nashville and see what they've got. And um, so my wife, bless her heart, um, she's more like you. She's more of a, a dark beer, uh, you know, malt, malted, I guess. That's what we call you. Um, and so she was like, you know, why don't you, you know, just because, you know, we had the kids and it was like, you know, it was a pain in the ass to like pull off the highway and stop at the brewery. And she, so she's doing me a favor, but she's like, you know, just make sure you get me something, right? Like if I get something dark or something that I'll enjoy. And I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. I can do that. You know, I'll get you something. And so like I walk in and I'm like looking at the menu and it's like they've got like eight beers and it's like. IPA, 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 double IPA, double IPA, double IPA, double IPA. <laughs> that was literally all they had. And I was like, oh, hmm, okay, well, sorry. So um, that's, yeah, that's their specialty. But um, I highly recommend if you have an opportunity to uh, to get some bearded iris. It's, uh, it's fantastic stuff. Have you been there yet? I've not been there, but yeah. I've had their beer, and it is, again, I said last episode that IPAs are really aren't my favorite, but um, they do it very, very well. Those beers are tasty. Yeah, and depending on which one you've had, I mean, they do some sort of New England-style IPAs where it's, like, you know, super clean. You get a lot of hop flavor, but not a lot of the bitterness. So you, you may have tried tried something in that, in that vein before. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, so this is uh, the the musical selection is from uh, from Riverfront Park in uh, in Nashville. Like I mentioned, just uh, yeah, just a handful of blocks from from the brewery there, Bearded Iris, and um, this is just a little bit later in that tour. We are uh, picking things up in the second set with uh, another guest, and um, this is one that we we're familiar with, and that's Mr. David Blackman. And um, they open the second set with the takeout Ain't Life Grand with Blackman. And then uh, we'll pick things up after that and carry it through uh, until drums.
in the mouse on the sunny rock symphony tree. Just a
Okay, September 29th, 1995, Widespread Panic at River, Riverfront Park in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, second set, Eliza's Apartment into It Ain't No Use, into Porch Song, and then into Blackout Blues uh, with the guested, uh, guested uh, David Blackman on fiddle. Um, great selection. This is a great little run, 928, 929, 930. Um, uh, Knoxville, Nashville, Boone, and then up to Columbus, which is the show that we've talked about and you were you attended harvey so mm-hmm. um but this is great i mean again blackman is somebody that just fits in so well with the band again like warren haynes just understands panic's music understands how to fit in and you know just he sat in so much with them you know and in, in, in you know in the 90s and, you know especially 96 and 95 and you know in some ways he's kind of the unofficial unofficial member of the band um yeah and, and, and just was the these shows are really good and um, again I, I I picked the last episode Harvey picked it th- this episode so I appreciate what Harvey picks shows that I agree with and I agree with this one well, I appreciate that um, <laughs> it, it was cool like I, I like that um, it was maybe not like I mean some of it you know porch and blackout are both pretty traditional um, Blackman appearances, but like LA and ain't no use both, um, just seemed a little, you know, a little, a little different. So it was cool to be able to include, um, some stuff that's not, not standard fare. Um, and I feel like maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken because, um, you know, as, as great as, uh, this podcast has been as far as like, um, going back and, reliving um you know lots of different shows uh one of the problems is that i sometimes forget (laughs) like what was this from this show or from the other show and um and i also want to apologize because this is the first time that we've actually a single song has showed up twice in a single episode um and that was port song in these last two segments but um it's cool to hear a couple different takes on it. And this one, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, the jam is not like a traditional port song, like, um, you know, almost like a takeoff jam. Uh, it's more of like a, it's own little thing. Uh, and it's notated in the everyday companion as a, as jam. Um, and so that makes me think that it was like more of a distinct type of you know 
piece of music. Um, so that was kind of cool to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, uh, playing Power Song twice, it's like 10994, right? With the <laughs> maggot brain twice in one set. Right, so. yeah. I, I get, I'll do that one time. Um, Panic can do it once. We can do it once. It's okay. It was hard enough to find music from these four cities. And then, like, once I picked out a couple and they both had guests, uh, then I made it my challenge to find shows that had guests from cities that had breweries that I really liked. <laughs> Hard to find shows from Nashville, ten nine ninety six five one ninety eight. Well, with, with guest appearances. Oh, you're going for guest appearances. Yeah, like okay. once uh, I think I started with Stowe and this next segment that already had guests, and so then my challenge was to find two more shows from cities with breweries that I liked and had guest appearances. So you're going double theme. Is oh, what that's, you're doing. that's how wow. I roll. That's how I roll. Yes, I, I guess so. Wow. Okay. Did you not see? Well, you didn't figure that out that I had a, a double theme going. Well, I see that now. Okay. Um, but so well done. Thanks. Plus one for you. <laughs> um, so let's take us take us home, Harvey. What's our last selection? For okay. Me? So uh, we're gonna head back up northeast, and um, this is. Uh, Again, this is a brewery that is uh, a mere blocks from, like maybe even a, like one block from the venue, and that's the old the uh, Harbor Lights Pavilion. I'm not sure who's got it sponsored now, some like a bank or an insurance company or something. Um, but right down there uh, on Boston Harbor, and um, the brewery is called Trillium, and uh, they're also doing uh, some fantastic. Um, you know, New England style, hazy IPAs. And um, probably the one that I put down for my choice is Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. That's probably their most famous, but they do uh, lots of different lots of different flavors. They do lots of dry, double dry hop uh, variations and um, highly recommend. I made a trip um, last time that we were visiting the, the in-laws in Connecticut. I made a, a road trip up to uh, Treehouse, which is in Massachusetts, which I did not include because it's in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. And um, they do a lot of great uh, great IPAs. And then I drove on to uh, Boston to visit Trillium. And uh, and that's a really cool brewery too. Got some beer to bring home. So um, yeah, so if anybody that's listening can get any of that beer like send it to me because i i love it and i like i can get the bearded iris stuff but uh but the alchemist or um veil or trillium or treehouse uh, send it my way i'll i'll gladly um drink it and uh you know i'll even i'll like have you on the show or something if you send me some of that beer uh, i'll kick you i'll kick jeff off for a week if you want that's um, okay with me <laughs> wait what um so so the show that I picked in Boston with my double theme is um, September 7th, 1997. And um, like we were talking before the show is sort of a, a mythical, a mythical show um, from, from fall of 97. And uh, so you're listening to the, you're going to listen to the very end of the first set and um, a couple guests on stage from the band who opened that night uh, and the night before, and that's uh, Buckshot LaFonk. Ladies and gentlemen, now entering the ring, Mr. DJ Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> 
September 7th, 1997, from the Harbor Lights Pavilion in Boston, Massachusetts. You're at the end of the first set uh, with Arlene, with uh, Branford Marcellus, DJ Apollo, Frank McComb, and Rocky Bryant, and then a drums with uh, DJ Apollo and Rocky Bryant, and then finishing things up with uh, Love Tractor with uh, Bradford Marcellus, DJ Apollo, and Rocky Bryant. And, um, I mean, what a first set from this show. Yeah, this whole show is great. And um, this is one of those uh, back in the days before instant downloads and so on that the set list shows up and must get this tape as soon as possible. Um, and it's remarkable how that how the postal how the postal service could work sometimes, <laughs> and and BNPs and whatever else. Once you amassed enough tapes where you could swing a trade and get something within a week or so after the show. But um, yeah, this was a highly sought after show and one that got a lot of play um, when I finally got the tapes because of Branford and and uh, Buckshot LaFunks sit-ins. Um, the drums here is great with with DJ Apollo on turntables. I mean that this is you know not throwing any shade towards Colin Butler, but like, this is how a DJ sits in on drums with widespread panic. Um, but that first set is great. And then the second set without them, I mean, chili, please, chili, Genesis, airplane, driving, pusher man, driving, proving ground. I mean, that's almost flawless. <laughs> I mean, just like, yeah, that first set was really awesome. We had these incredible musicians sitting in with us and we had a DJ and saxophone player and like, it's unprecedented and it was awesome. And we're going to take a set break and we're going to do a set of, really some of the best songs we've ever done as a band <laughs> so have fun with all that everybody and then yeah. we're gonna go to the next night to montreal and play one of the best maybe 10 shows we've ever played as a band so um it's just this early i feel so bad it's funny i feel so bad for the philadelphia show that opens this tour because <laughs> literally nobody ever talks about this show and frankly i don't think i've ever listened to it <laughs> Because Bristow, Branford sits in on Ann Avis and um, Fishwater, Fishwater at mm-hmm. the end of the first set. Um, Diner Jam, Ann Avis, Fishwater to close out the first set in Bristow. Um, and I had that on tape and listened to that like crazy. There, your band Everything shows up again as an opener. And then 9-7 and 9-8 are you know, epic, legendary shows and and then, you know, then there's Poor 9-5 in Philadelphia, which is just treated as this, like, warm-up show. Um, so I'm going to make a point to listen to that, because we've got some 97 stuff coming up that we're going to do, and maybe there's some uh, hidden gems there. Yeah. Well, th- uh, yeah, this is, um, you know, obviously the right before this run, this little section, um, Branford played on Hopeless World and then uh, Pick It Up the Pieces, which uh, was included on Life Views Get Away. And I think is the only selection from Life Fuse Get Away that was not from Spring and Summer. Like it was uh, almost... The drums is from eleven six ninety seven. Okay. So I think it's the only song that was not from Spring and Summer. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it was almost like they were like, you know, oh, we got to include this. You know what I mean? Like they had almost started production. They already made all their selections, but they were like, oh, you know, this needs to be on there. Um, I mean, it's not... It's not like Branford with the dead on Eyes of the World, but 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just good. like, he's so, he's just such a badass. Like, it doesn't matter. I think literally he could go up and play with a band he's never heard before, play a song he's never heard before, which is probably the case <laughs> yeah. know, at this show and just, just be flawless. You know, it hit all the fills and not step on anybody and just, just be perfect. And, um, so we didn't include that, but that's so good. And then, uh, the are just the stuff with DJ Apollo and, and, and Branford playing with him, you know, they're just sort of like stick and move, stick and move. And, um, this is, uh, I, I hope, I hope that I will never get tired of listening to this section of music again. Cause yeah, it's great. It's, every time I pull it out, it's good. You know, 97, you know, again, we talk about how much we love 96, but 97 is a pretty incredible year. And um, this first part of the fall tour is really strong, you know, from Bristow and Boston and Montreal, you know, on down to Madison Ames, um, Carbondale South Bend. And, you know, those Orlando shows are really good too. And then that second run in November is great. So 97 is a good year and this is really what gets it started. All right. Well, um, anything else, Jeff? What how do no. you feel? You see, you feel like your your choices were better last week, or you think I I up I won up to you again? I think I may have beat you on the music this week. Um, mm. Beer wise, um, you know, again, I think it's it's to everybody's taste. Yeah. Um, but you did pick some good beers, I'm sure. I think I've well, I've had the bearded iris for sure. Um, the other ones I have not. Um, but I, if, if, if anybody wants to send them to Harvey and then Harvey can get them to me, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be able to taste them at some point in time. But I think, uh, I think we had a couple of good weeks of music and beer here. I think we made some good picks. Um, you know, next time we do this, I'll just, I'll just pick Paps and we'll just do a bunch of Milwaukee shows. So. Let's, you could do this solo or let's just, <laughs> let's just not and say we did. Um, all right. Well, um, thanks everybody for joining us. Make sure, um, you know, Valentine's day is coming up. So even if your uh, significant other says it's not important, it most likely is. <laughs> and, um, so don't forget that. And, um, yeah, so we've got it. We have a good show picked out for that next week. And then, um, and then hopefully we got a special guest and some cool stuff the week after that. And we have some news too. So, uh, stay tuned for that. We'll have some stuff to announce, uh, about the podcast growing up. So, um, so anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us and, um, feel free to, uh, check us out on the website, bluestape.com. You can see our, um, you know, email us from there. You can follow us on the Twitter or on the Facebook from there as well. Please interact. We'd like to hear from, from our listeners and um you know we've got some good ideas folks have given us some good ideas for shows that we've got on the list that uh we'll get to uh soon so we appreciate that and um yeah anything else jeff no we're good thank you all for listening again and uh staying active with us on the social media and again i think it's and we haven't thanked curtis in a while um but thanks to panic stream for making all this stuff available online and making it easy for for me to do my research at work. <laughs> so thanks, yep. Curtis. And, and, uh, and Ted and the Everyday Companion, that helps yes, uh, helps immensely as well. So um, appreciate all you folks. And uh, we'll leave you this week with our uh, our, our Panic panic Cover original. And that is uh, the song Lowrider, another classic uh, movie soundtrack song 
by the band War. Yeah. 